You may wonder when you start listening to this podcast, who in the world is the culprit of feminism? Stay tuned and you just might find out. Hi everyone, what is up? It's your girl Olivia as the host as per usual on Feminist on the Pod. And so I apologize um, firsthand that this week's episode is kind of on the delay. Everything is um, kind of going crazy in life, but we manage, we manage. And we're here today with our new episode that a lot of you guys have requested on my Instagram. And it's about the history of equality. And if you like to follow my Instagram so you can request um, more topics, um, do some polls, and probably just see some... Um, stories and highlights on feminism, LGBTQ, and other awareness subjects, you can follow me on at Olivia, P-E-O-N-Y underscore 13. That's on Instagram. And yeah, I hope you guys will learn a lot from today's episode, and I'm sure you guys are curious, so let's just hop right on. So feminism is traditionally um, divided into three segments of activism. So we have the first wave, the second wave, and the third wave feminism. However, its history dates back far beyond ancient Greece. So we're talking about Plato. And according to his classic, Republic, and this is a reading and I'm pretty sure you guys can find it online for a complete version of it, Plato advocated that women possess the same natural capacity, natural capabilities that are equal to men for governing and leading the um, ancient Greece. And obviously, um, everyone um, disagrees with Plato. A lot of people um, would oppose um, his statement. And what Plato meant by natural capabilities, it means um, whether it's biological, physiological, or mental and intellectual capabilities. So Plato was a feminist, and that's a good start. However, when uh, the council of ancient Rome, he witnessed a women's march, kind of like a protest going on in Rome. They're protesting about the Opian Law, uh, which restricted women's access to gold um, and other goods that are considered as money. The consul, um, Marcus Procius, he argued that when women start to be equal as men, then women are going to take over. Which is a common argument that I think um, happened a lot these days with um, the idea of feminism. However, we should know that um, along the centuries, nothing has uh, ever progressed to the point where women are controlling the world and men are being oppressed. Um, again, I just want to emphasize that we're uh, kind of talking about the perspective on sex, so male and female in the first area. And then as we move on to the second or third wave feminism, we start to see a lot more genders coming out, so we're going to switch a little bit our um, perspective as we go along the narrative. And so that was a good start by Plato. However, we can see so many opposition on the idea of women being feminist in ancient Greece and ancient Rome. 
And then we want to fast forward to around 15th century. So there's this writer, um, she's called Christine Dipson, and she wrote this book called The Book of the City of Ladies. And this book is a brave protest, um, which is against misogyny and the role of women in the Middle Ages. As we know, women in the Middle Ages are considered um, the homemaker and they don't have rights to property. They don't even consider uh, an independent human being. They were um, kind of associated to belong to um, their husband. So that's what's going on in the Middle Ages. And this is great, um, according to my opinion, because you start to see someone progressing to be brave enough to, you know, uh, publish something of her own writing and gain recognition for it. So this is a good um, breakthrough to, to, you know, introducing um, new ideas that women should be able to pursue other roles and, and that misogyny is... Um, being recognized and acknowledged um, by women that there has been acts of misogyny that um, people have to avoid. And misogyny uh, on its own, it's defined as um, acts of hating women. So um, usually they will assign stereotypes for women for being very irrational, dramatic, whatever. And then they will kind of use that argument and biased perspective to um, degrade us in a lot of aspects of our life so that's misogyny so we see this um, idea kind of surfaced in the 15th century which we just get and then um, a few years also in the 15th century there has been a few other female writers who um, appeared so writers philosophers like Margaret Cavendish, um, the Duchess of Newcastle, Pontine, and Mary Wollstonecraft, um, the author of A Vindication of Rights of Women. Um, they argued vigorously for um, greater opportunities and equality, basically, for women. And that's a very um, good progress that we're starting to see people um, speaking up about it. And we're going to see a lot more on how speaking up really helps in um, situations that demands um, public attention. Um, later on, in after third wave feminism, we start to see why it's very um, significant. And then when we are talking about politics, so um, women in the 15th century, they weren't really um, known as having rights of politics. However, um, there's this uh, first lady. Um, she was the wife to President John Adams. And she saw um, the access to education, property, and the ballot, which means like voting, as very critical for women. And by the way, um, the first lady's name was Abigail Adams. In her letter to her husband, John Adams, she warned um, him that if particular, I quote, 
If particular care and attention is not paid to the ladies, we are determined to form a rebellion and will not hold ourselves bound by any laws in which we have no voice. End quote. So that's what she um, said to her husband. And then we are starting to step into first wave feminism, which um, we saw a great increase of um, bravery in terms of property and politics. So here we are in the first wave of feminism that is happening around 19th century to early 20th century. And um, I feel like this period is pretty much a longer period compared to the other two waves of feminism, which happens in a relatively short time before evolving into a broader spectrum of feminism itself. And so... This period, um, it is situated in UK and in the US, and it's happening around um, World War One. So World War One was also coming along um, during this period, and yeah, just imagine the situation um, right there: UK and US, nineteenth century before World War One, no one was able to own property, no women was able to vote, and everything. So the first activity that is like um, recorded here was the uh, protest um, focusing the promotion of equal contract and property rights for women and they are opposing chattel marriage and ownership of married married women and their children by their husbands so this is literally um, basically um, women are not considered individual beings they're more considered as a property to their husbands and as well as children um, they're considered owned by the husband and so they don't have much legal rights however by um, around the end of 19th century we start to see a shift um, a shift of movement from um, activism in poverty and then gaining access to things we start to see this getting political and Women were demanding their rights to vote, um, focusing primarily on how to get their hands on the ballot. Um, So a lot of people are also campaigning for, you know, advocating the laws for women's rights. Um, So, for example, sexual rights, um, reproductive economics rights at this time. And I feel like what is unique... um, about this wave is that so many things are being established and so many ideas are um, being held upon compared to the other waves they're kind of more of like um, fixing and bringing additions to the previous movements but this wave is um, very crucial because like you start to see new ideas emerging and then like new movements kind of being introduced and popularized. So at the uh, 1848 uh, Seneca Falls Convention, abolitionists like um, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, um, she was the famous one, she boldly proclaimed in their now famous Declaration of Sentiments that, um, and I quote, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men and women are created equal, end quote. 
and the feminists um, of that era, they were also demanding, and I quote, their sacred right to elective franchise, end quote, or simply put as the rights to vote. And what's interesting here is also kind of when um, World War One was coming around, um, people men are leaving their wives and their kids and they start to go to the war deployed as the soldiers or pilots so women were left kind of alone and they start to pick up jobs and they start to fill in their husband's role of providing um, for their family and a breakthrough is also um, women's involvement in the war so florence nightingale she um, brings the idea and um, campaigns for women to be involved in the medical stuff. So um, she is a nurse and she encourages other women to um, help assist the World War I soldiers who got hurt and taking care of them. And she is always known of uh, having this lantern with her when she was checking around for um, the patients. So that's where women's involvement in the war um, started, you know, beginning. Then, we slowly see um, a lot of changes here, right? So we have the uh, convention, and then we have the war um, since men are deployed women have to pick up something you know to provide for the family as well and slowly um these suffragettes which are people who protested for the right to vote they claim some success so in 1893 for example new zealand became the first sovereign state giving women the right to vote then australia and then finland and then united kingdom in the United States, this is like largely um, affected by World War One. So I feel like World War One has more effect on the states than any other um, country, since you know the states were one of like the most powerful countries during the World War One. Um, they were kind of like the ruling block in during the World War One. So um, this has a lot of impact on feminism as well. The World War One essentially proved that women are also deserving equal representation, especially with all the involvement and women are taking up jobs, women are involved in um, nurse care and everything in the war. So the United States finally issued and ratified the 19th Amendment. And so the amendment passed and American women finally earned the right to vote. And however, we're not quite done yet because there's still a lot of things wrong with um, the right to vote. It's still not as inclusive as we would like it to be. And we are going to embark on the second wave of feminism. Women are starting to go to work and have important roles in the war. 
So that's the key for um, the first wave feminism. We start to see a lot of roles. And these roles, they keep evolving before we enter to the second wave. They keep evolving and evolving, um, especially in the Great Depression era. So a greater number of women are getting involved because, you know, many male breadwinners lost their jobs and they forced women to find women's work. And as, I don't know, segregative, um, marginalizing as it sounds, um, women's work is an actual term that they use um, earlier in the day. And as it suggests, as the name suggests, it is um, the jobs that are associated with femininity and it is lower paying but more stable. So careers like housework, housemates, teaching, secretarial roles. And I feel like this is still associated to this day that women are, you know, better at teaching, better at nurturing, um, better with secretarial works. And that's just how the society kind of perceives this because it is evident in, in terms of the, in the history. Um, Everyone has been having this mindset and it's kind of been passed down to their generations. But don't worry, we're, we're trying to fix that. So uh, we're moving forward to World War II. Many women are actively participating in military and then in the um, industries that are previously reserved for men. So we start to see more involvement and inclusivity here. And the Great Depression was also one of the more contributing factors of women picking up work. And then the civil rights movement. So basically, the civil rights movement is a struggle for social justice. And it took place in 1950 to 1960s. It's for the black Americans to gain equal rights under the law in the United States. Um, As we might have known... Black people were considered slaves and um, slavery was very prominent in America. And with the civil rights movement, um, it's kind of bringing a huge impact on feminism as well. Because when we see certain people fighting for equality, even if it's in terms of race, we start to see the same type of struggle. And so it gives us like more opportunity to... um, have this parity with them, have this, you know, um, same reasons, same movements, and I feel like it opens up very um, great opportunities for allegiance and then, like, um, convincing people that um, women also deserve equal rights as men, the same way that black and white people or any race um, deserves equal rights. And because of this movement, women, we saw greater participation in the workplace and more people struggling for equal pay. That's um, one significant um, effort. And in fact, the Equal Pay Act of 1963, um, this was the first kind of movement that's very uh, prominent in the era that is still affecting us right now. Like... The issue is still here until now. We can see wage gap, like 
people are being paid lower than their um, male co-workers so usually women is paid um, a quarter less um, per dollar that a male makes so this is a very uh, significant movement as well in 1966 and it was signed by President Kennedy in 1963 um, as an amendment to the Fair Labor Standards Act. And yeah, we ha- we start to have this um, progress towards equality. So now we're really going into the second wave feminism. And I feel like um, this wave has a lot of things that are very controversial in it. So let's just dive into it. We still have our culture obstacles, right? So culture it doesn't fade away that easily. Like it's kind of rooted between generations. And so with the 1963 publication of the feminine mystique of Betty Friedan, who later co-founded the National Organization for Women, she argued that women were still, you know, bound into this unfulfilling roles and like roles that the society considers fulfilling for us, but we don't actually consider it as fulfilling because obviously not all women are tailored to homemaking. Maybe people are more passionate on having um, engineering jobs or other um, jobs in other fields. So um, by this time, after the uh, publication was made, Many people were starting to refer to feminism as the women's liberation. So in women's liberation, I feel like it's also a very relevant term because they want to be free of this um, bounded responsibility that we have the, you know, the ever-present responsibility to take care of our family, to take care of our child and we also want to pursue other careers so that's what happens in 1971 a feminist called Gloria Steinem um, and she joined Betty from earlier in she founded this National Women's Political Caucus and Steinem's Miss Magazine became the first magazine to feature feminism as its subject on its cover in 1976. So this is a major progress because I feel like the term feminism and women's equality is getting surfaced and published a lot more than in the previous um, wave of feminism. And then we have the Equal Rights Amendment, which um, aims to have Um, legal equality for women and they are trying to ban discrimination on the basis of sex and I feel like this is relevant especially in Indonesia today we have like the laws of sexual violence and this law this proposal of law basically was being put down from the priority list so they're not gonna ratify it anytime soon however this is a very uh evidence that shows how women are marginalized because as we know sexual violence is a relatively 
not relatively. I feel like a lot of people will also agree with me that it aims mostly on women and it's gender-based. It's a gender-based violence. I'm not saying that um, men are not prone to sexual violence. They may experience things too. However, the majority of people who are... um, who are bound to this violence um, are women and so having this law taken away from the priority list and everything that kind of shows how um, the equality is not achieved yet in terms of um, legal cases so back to the equal rights amendment the um, the bill basically it was passed by Congress in 1972. However, a conservative backlash uh, kind of surfaced on the country, and they were never ratified. Uh, they never ratified the um, the bill to become the law. However, um, there's still good news. So, feminists were celebrating the Supreme Court's decision in Roe v. Wade. The landmark ruling that guaranteed a woman's right to choose an abortion. And again, abortion issues are still prominent. Um, we saw protests in Poland and we saw some good news in Argentina. Um, they start to legalize the procedure. I personally think that abortion is um, a woman's choice since it's her body and there are certain cases too which we can see as very um, significant um, and requiring abortion. So for example, if someone got raped and if she's not allowed to have an abortion, I feel like that kind of brings the issue to another new level. But it's not my, uh, it's not my right to um, decide or to you know, judge this matter because there are so many like cultural and religious um, arguments for this. But I personally just think that um, abortion should be the right of a woman since since it's her body and she should be able to do whatever she wants to her body, anything that makes her comfortable. So the key thing about second wave feminism is basically having this um, organization that's like um, trying to advocate for um, liberating us from this bounded responsibility from the society and then also we see a lot of struggle for legal rights and also um, abortion um, supports so what we know now is probably the pro-choice and the pro-life so um, people are struggling for this. And this is still prominent right now. However, um, second wave is very short-lived. And now we have the third wave, which is going to be more of a fixation, more of like a a backlash to the second wave feminism. And this is where things get le- real. <laughs> Let's do this. And then we have the third wave feminism. There's an important question to ask around here. Um, basically, when we see um, first wave, second wave, and as I said earlier, there is a lot of error in this um, waves of feminism. So we have seen progress for women, right? 
but is it for all women or just for white American college educated um, rich women? And the answer is the latter. Because um, as we can see in this uh, third wave feminism, people see that a lot of people who benefit from it are just this white college educated women and that feminism has failed to address the concerns of women of color, um, lesbians, immigrants, and religious minorities. And what we can see from this fact here, um, I can see um, two things that I want to address here. So we see that race especially, and we hear a lot of the times here um, in 2020 and early 2021, of white privilege and white supremacy and apparently it has been here long since the third wave feminism and people are aware of this issue um there's a movie that i watched for my um, competition it was part of the syllabus and this movie is called hidden figures so um it's about three women of color Um, working for NASA and one of the lead was Katherine Johnson and she was this mathematician at NASA and because she was black and she um, was a woman she was kind of viewed as different by her co-workers and she started facing a lot of discrimination like having separate bathrooms and having separate drinking fountains from the white people And that's how bad it was um, in the era. Uh, The third wave here, it starts in 1990, I believe. And yeah, it's in 1990. And um, its primary concern here is just having criticism for the second wave movement and for the previous movements as well. On who benefits from this movement? Is it just white women, college-educated, rich, and ignoring everyone? The second thing I want to point out here is the evidence that we have the term lesbian. So sexual orientation and genders have been around for quite long. And as we know, the third wave feminism is the wave which recognizes the importance of inclusivity and this is why our feminism should be intersectional because if we are only advocating for women of our kind or women who we think um, are the racist that deserves it then it's not feminism at all because it's not including all women so um, apart from this race and inclusivity thingy we have the challenge here um, trying to go against the uh, second wave's definition of femininity, which, according to the second wave um, people, overemphasized the experience of upper middle class white women. What we see here is a lot of people trying to um, argue against certain stereotypes, because even though uh, even though women in the second wave feminism, they are trying to break through the um, societal burdens or responsibilities like homemaking and childcare. 
apparently there's still stereotyping on what fields women can go to. So there's a lot of this internal debates between the different feminists such as the psychologist Carol Gilligan, who believes that there are important differences between the sexes and those who believe that there are no inherent differences between the sexes. And they argue basically that gender roles are due to more um, social factors, like socially um, conditioned and um, in regards of this issue, I feel like somehow I start to view this idea of feminism as more of like giving freedom to each and individual woman. Because if we start to, we still have the stereotype, right? They have debates between, you know, feminism um, that women still have this feminist like feminine characteristics in them that should be um, confining them to a certain area of jobs and even though it might be wider than the um, previous area which revolves around the house it still is um, segregating us from the um, from people you know from the main idea that we should have equal opportunities in everything and i think that um, with viewing feminism giving freedom to um, people individually we start to see some light in here because that way we know that um, women can be whoever she wants to be and if she she is more of a woman that has a feminine character and she's more into feminine things um, such as maybe cooking, maybe homemaking, then she can, she can do it. And if she's more into um, science, she can do it. If she's more into sports, if she's more into physical activities, then she can do it. So I feel like by viewing feminism this way is more fair for everyone and there wouldn't be any more stereotyping around the ideal of feminism then we have after the third wave we have the hashtag movement which this is kind of modern and it's been going on and having some prominent impacts on um, specifically sexual violence so we're going to talk about this right after this music comes around (laughs) so another prominent movement after the third wave that we see also is still going on right now it's very popular um again in 2017 this movement got very popular is the hashtag me too movement so this movement has a lot of things to do with virginia wolf Um, historically it has been associated many things with her and basically, Virginia Woolf is uh, an author who wrote a lot of essays and arguments on feminism. My favorite one is The Three Genius. This one provides a very unique um, perspective on her take to feminism and its activism. And this is actually a companion essay to A Room of One's Own that she wrote previously. And from this essay, you can learn a lot about how fascism in Europe 
um, is contributed to patriarchy and then how patriarchy should be um, abolished and how we women can take the stand even though we don't have the political or public power or even though maybe we don't have access and she still thinks that um, there are still ways that we can act including like um, supporting more women's education centers um, etc i'm not going to spoil anything to you so um, you can read it on its own but basically the me too movement this is a chain reaction because more feminists are fighting for um, their safety we are fighting against the cases of sexual assault and the rape culture yes rape is a culture because it is associated much more with kind of a sexual violence right so um rape is normally targeted on women again i'm not saying that men cannot experience rape but most targets are women and this is a culture because it um reflects male dominance it reflects how men are more um dominant than women and um so far how prominent this violence is everywhere and how so many victims have been found it kind of you know evolved to the term rape culture and basically um, this is also trying to fight the misogyny so the hate for women um, by ensuring that we have the equal voice so me too is a chain reaction basically people are coming up to tell their stories to report their assault stories and other women will also be encouraged to speak up and I feel like this is also a very uh, sisterhood movement because you start to see other women being brave enough to um, tell their stories and you also adopt the same behavior and I think because rape is a very psychological attack too it's not just like the physical trauma that's hurting people it's the psychological trauma people sometimes um, they don't even process what happened to them even after years later so by speaking up really it really helps them be aware of what is happening and then also start the process of healing so me too is basically trying to encourage women to speak up and to know that it's not a shame to be raped it's shame on the rapist it's it's for you to acknowledge how brave you are of surviving the incident and trying to find yourself again and so many women will make allegations of you know sexual um, violence so for example in 2017 the new york Times published an investigation to the influential film producer harvey weinstein and then people also start um, using this to um, sue donald trump the president and yeah so many people will march on the streets um they joined the women's march actually in dc um this is a protest to um have reproductive civil and human rights that's not limited to just rape but also rights to um abortions and whatever we can do with our bodies and so that's what kind of is happening in the current era and especially in indonesia i can definitely relate because there's not yet a law for rape right so the law was taken down the yeah the 
priority list, the bill was taken down and it was never ratified. So I can see how this is becoming a culture also because there's no protection and um, there's no steps going to be taken for people who are victims of rape and people are kind of labeling it as the uh, as a normal thing that happened even though it's not normal even as children women are taught that you know catcalling is normal and so with having this movement we start to be aware that it's not normal to be treated as um, a lower human being by other people even if it means sexualizing other ones so yeah that's what is happening in the me too movement However, there's so many more branches of feminism and like um, ideas and works on feminism. So this postmodern feminism is really getting twisted. So if you want to look at like more modern fem- feminism kind of um, activity, we start to see in this current era. Um, women breaking the glass ceiling and glass ceiling is basically a metaphor for you know limiting our achievements that women cannot achieve greater heights than um, what we are today so for example vice president kamala harris she made it she broke the glass ceiling no woman has ever been vice president before and she did it so that's another glass ceiling broken for us and A lot of more involvement also revolves around STEM. So because STEM is a very male-dominant like field, a lot of colleges are starting to reach gender parity um, these days on the engineering department. We start to see also like very um, many of this like LGBTQ plus um, women and then just engineering organization for people who are. Um, considered minorities in that era and I feel like that's good because it's encouraging the idea that no matter what gender what sexual orientation or sex you are capable of doing whatever you're passionate in and so um, that is just a little bit on the feminism in the post um, third wave era and we also start to see a lot more feminism content on arts, on movies. So for example, in movies, we start to see many more female lead characters who are pictured as strong. And so those are the good things that are happening with the um, current modern feminism. The only uh, problem is only when people are having different interpretations, which can sort of alter the, the perspective on feminism if their goal is not to achieve equality if they're not using the correct ways or the truthful ways then that could be a problem but as long as they want to project women in the light of equality then i think it should be um, great as a feminism we might see a lot more like emerging so like theological feminism and then environmentalist feminism and so many more so i hope today you guys learn a lot about like this feminism before first wave so from plato and then what's happening in the first wave why is it taking so long and then i hope you 
learn more also expand your um, thoughts a little bit on how the war or the other movements can affect um, the feminism movement and then the second wave and what's wrong with second wave that caused the third wave and then why intersectionality is important and also some current issues on feminism that um, is not quite addressed yet and there's still so many more like there's like tons of issues that women are still facing including like lgbtq people and people of all races are still facing these days but we're working through um, a better destination and so i hope you guys um, enjoy and you have you have learned and i'll see you on wednesday with a very special guest and we're going to be talking further about casual and daily sexism in the modern era especially between the students so i'll see you next wednesday it's your host olivia and bye bye